As you know, we've been going through the 40 Days in the Word study, and I really have enjoyed this study and highlighting the Scripture for all of us. And today, I just want to read a few passages of Scripture to you. I actually had a, an entire message sort of um, set out to do last night. I changed my mind um, this morning. And it's because I, I kind of want to just have a, a family meeting. I want to I talk a little bit about what we're doing here, what, what this is all about, why, why we've done 40 Days in the Word, and what we're looking for as we move forward in our church. I'm so grateful for what God is doing at One Chapel. And let me tell you this, it's not just One Chapel that God is moving in. It's churches all over this city, and especially here on this southwest side. God is reaching into the southern part of our city like he really hasn't in a, in a, really maybe ever. There are several, you know, good churches that have been established, but did you know that this South Austin was called really a church planter's graveyard for several years? There was a statistic about uh, when I came to town two years ago, and I came with a bunch of other church planters. I mean, there are churches being planted everywhere on this south side of the city, really all over the city, in schools and in strip malls and in movie theaters, just like us. 80% over the last five years failed before I came. That was the statistic I kept hearing. I mean, I heard it so much. I was like, you people, are you're not encouraging me. But it is not true anymore. It's not. You can look at one chapel as evidence. You can look at real life Austin right here around the corner at 1826. They're meeting in Gorisky uh, Middle School. You could look at Austin New Church, which is three years old now, and is thriving and alive. You, you can see God is doing something in our city. And I am so amazed. I am so overwhelmed. I'm so um, grateful to be part of something bigger than myself. Right? This, the, no one church can see a city rescued. No one church can, can present the gospel to every person living in that city. It takes a whole bunch of churches, and I'm so grateful to be part of that. But look, one chapel has, I believe, a, a, a specific calling and direction. And we started these 40 days in the word because I felt like the, the report I was getting and the experience I was having, and I began to talk to people who were part of our church, we were growing at a really phenomenal rate. We were actually growing too fast. And we just started our third service a couple weeks ago, and, 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 and what happens when you grow too fast is people don't get connected. They don't get rooted and we have to fix that. So one of the things that I wanted to do with this 40 Days in the Word is have, it a, have a focused, have our focused attention on the scripture because I became convinced with so many new believers and what I would call um, people who m might be de-churched, just people who've been to church before and it really wasn't that great of an experience, <laughs> trying to figure out how to have a relationship with God, coming to a new place in their relationship with God, People who know a little bit about the Bible, but really don't live it in their personal lives. That's why we've done this 40 Days in the Word. And I think it has challenged us, and I wanted, I wanted to get a bunch of groups together with people connecting and, and talking about the material and talking about the scriptures. 
And a bunch of you have participated in that. Some of you have tried to participate in that. Life has been too busy. It's been a struggle. You're trying to get involved in community, but, but you haven't been able to. I, I just want to talk about the process we're in as a church as we come to the end of this 40 days. Because the, the scriptures are our foundation. We, we really have to build on what the scriptures tell us. And I don't, think you can, I don't think you can grow in Christ. I don't think you can grow in your relationship with the Lord unless you know the scriptures and you're willing to share them with others. You're willing to let other people speak them into your life and you're willing to ask questions of others. Community is the only way you really learn how to apply the scriptures. You know, we've talked about all kinds of angles and approaches to the scriptures. I mean, we talked about how do you trust the Bible? How do we know we can trust it? How do we build our lives on it? Um, how do we study a text? How do, we, how do we get the real meaning of it? I mean, we studied all these things, but at the end of the 40 days, the most important thing we can do the greatest challenge that I could give you as your pastor is to say to you, we must do the word. We must live it outside these walls. Love Austin is, a, is an event. I, I can tell you that one event is not going to rescue our city. <laughs> but what it is going to do is if you will leap over the comfort zone that you have in your life. If you'll be willing to take the lowest position in the kingdom and serve somebody else, you'll start obeying the scripture. You'll get involved in serving our city in a way that will give you a taste. And the hope is that you'll begin to do it more often. You'll begin to see it more often. You'll become sensitive to what's going on around you, not just living your own private life, isolated and alone, not just living your, your Christian life in these four walls, but being willing to do something about what the scriptures say to serve somebody else. It's not necessarily about changing the world. It's about changing you. And what happens when God gets a hold of you is he can begin to speak to you and through you to other people. That's what Love Austin, that's all Love Austin is. It's an excuse. It's, a, it's an opportunity. It is a, a moment of challenge. I know, the, I know what the excuses are. <laughs> I'm too busy. I got too much going on. My kids have games. I, got to, I know I'm just overwhelmed. I just, work is just too hard. And thus the word never actually takes root. Now, love Austin, you, don't, you can do it or not do it. I mean, there'll be other chances for you to serve other people. But it's an opportunity that's out there, and I want to challenge you to take advantage of it. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. I want to, I want to go through a few passages of Scripture, and I want to tell you what I believe God wants from us over the next over the next season of our church. We've had phenomenal growth. We've had people added to our church. We've had people coming to Christ. We've had people renewing their commitments to Christ. We have to make sure that we're living it and doing what the word says. So if you look to Luke chapter eight, let's read this story here because this is Jesus and he's communicating something. So here we go, verse five, ready? A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was 
scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sold. Now this sown, this is the story that Jesus tells the people. He's sharing it with his disciples. He's telling this to a crowd of people. And later, he explains the meaning of it. Drop down to verse 11. His disciples ask what he, what he means. Why does he always teach in these parables? And he says, here's the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. Hey, look at me. In the story, you got to picture this. The seed is God's word that's going into you and to me. And then he's going to explain how there are different kinds of soil. And so as Jesus begins to explain this, you've got to see you got to see yourself in the story. You have, we, me and you, we have to put ourselves in the narrative of Jesus and spot ourselves. Are we the soil on the path, hardened and packed down? Are we the soil that's shallow with rocks all around? Or are you the soil that has thorns growing up in it, choking out the life of the seed of God? Or are you good soil? Spot yourself as we go through it. Look at verse 12. It says, those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word. He comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So that they may not believe and be saved. I want you to see that the pathway that as farmers, I mean, most of you are not farmers, but as farmers plowed the soil and they tilled it up, then they dropped the seed in the space where the plow went, and then the, the workers came alongside, and they walked through the rows and then dropped the seed in the soil. But the place where they walked, so you know you have these rows of, of, uh, of the wheat or the, or the corn or whatever it was that they were planting, and then they're walking through these rows, and on the, on the place where they walked, it got hard and compacted. And so what Jesus is saying is where the path is, the seed just lays on top of it. And then the birds, like the enemy, like Satan himself, comes and snatches it and takes it away. Can I just encourage you tonight that there is a real enemy out there? The kingdom of darkness actually exists. And why would we even deny it? All you have to do is turn on the news. <laughs> I mean, it's so, it kills me when people are all say, oh, people are just so wonderful and loving, and why can't we just love each other? Oh, we can't love each other because evil exists in the world, and it gets a hold of people, and it causes them to do horrible, terrible things. The enemy is real, and he's trying to snatch the word out of your life. He's trying to get it before he can go, even go down into your mind and into your heart. So what we've got here is the pathway represents a closed mind a closed heart. You've, you've already decided by your experience and by your understanding what you're going to do. And even though the word actually says, here's what you should do, you're going to say to yourself, you may not say it out loud, but you just do what you want to do. 
And when you do that, when you close your mind to the ideas of God's word, if you look in God's word and you, and you look at um, ideas about giving and generosity, oh, that's not really true. You know, I really need, I really need all the money I get. I can't really be generous because I'm, sh- I'm in bad shape. I'm in a bad way. I, ca- I can never give anything to anybody because I really need to make sure everything's paid for and all my bills are... So instead of developing a generous heart, you apply your own experience to it and things get worse. Selfishness actually takes over. The word that was put in your heart about generosity gets taken. I sit across from married couples and I say, okay, here's what you need to do, husband. You need to treat your wife with the utmost respect and love. You need to lay your life down as Jesus Christ laid his life down for us. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians 5. And then, well, I try to do that, but, you know, she's so mean. She's so rude. Oh, really? I I don't see where it's contingent upon how she acts. See, we, we apply our own experience instead of having an open mind, an open heart to what the word says. You and I, we've got to cultivate an open heart. And you know what? You know how you cultivate an open heart? You let other people help you. You let other people give you perspective. You till the soil of your own heart. You break up the fallow ground, the hard-packed ground. You only can break that up as you as you read the word and then let other people help you apply it. Hey, bro, you're not treating your wife very well. If you don't have anybody in your life who can speak and tell you the truth in an attitude of love, you're in trouble. You're in danger of, the, of being a hardened mind and soul, a closed mind, a closed heart to what the Bible's saying. So important for us to do this. Don't don't develop a closed mind. Cultivate an open mind. Look at the next verse. It says, verse 13, those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. This is the type of person that receives when they hear, they receive it with joy, the Bible says. They love it. It's incredible, but they don't have any depth They don't spend time letting the roots go down deep. They don't spend time letting it go down deep into their heart. They don't take time for God's word, and they don't take time to let other people speak into their lives. And so they develop a superficial mind, and they come to church, and they love every minute of it. Oh, I just love coming to one chapel worship. I got to get my fix, man. If you're trying to get your fix, you know that you're shallow. A superficial mind, everything is superficial. You might, you might be excited about anything, or you're depressed about everything, or you're all over the map, and, and you're thinking about all kinds of things, and you never get this moment where you push down deep. You let roots grow down deep. We gotta take time for God's word. Some of you have tried to establish a devotional life, a quiet time with God, and you're struggling. Let me just encourage you, keep going. Don't give up. So, I don't care. I don't care if you got three days out of 40, all right? It's okay. Start today. Start again. It's kind of like exercise. Only with exercise, I always say, I'll start tomorrow. 
with the Bible, with the Word of God, start today. Start today. Got to take time to let it sink in. We can't be thrilled but not transformed. We got to be the kind of people that won't have just shallow roots. Because here's what happens. Problems come. The hot sun, the heat of difficulty, the storm of life comes along and it just blows it right down. It withers and it's ruined. If you go to the next verse, you see the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they were choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. They do not mature. I want you to circle that little phrase, as they go. They go on their way. Have you ever felt like you're always on the go? You're going, going, going. This passage describes a person that received the word, and it started growing up, and actually the roots started going down, and things started happening, and then these thorns, riches, pleasures, worries, cares, came up and choked the word of God in you. My personal opinion is most believers live right here. Thorns all around them, struggling to figure it out. Just choking the life of God, God's word out of them. Busyness is the third barrier to integrating God's word into your life, to applying God's word. The soil with the weeds means you've got a preoccupied mind. You've got a preoccupied mind and you're just, you're trying to do the best you can. The God's word is in you and it's starting to grow, but it's being choked out because you're preoccupied with so many things. Listen, some of you are doing really good things, but you're distracted by those, even those good things. Some of you need to eliminate some of the good things you do because it's choking out the most important thing that you can do. The word gets choked when you're preoccupied. Are all your circuits too busy to think deep thoughts about God? We've got to eliminate the distractions. Then finally, it's good soil. Hey, look what it says. Verse 15 says, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by perseverance, by persistence, by persevering, produce a crop. Now, I want you to take your pen, and I want you to underline that idea of perseverance, because you thought that I was going to get to all three of those bad ones, the path, the hardened heart, the hardened mind, the, the, the rocks, and no roots, and then the, then the one with thorns, and then the good soil, and it's good, it's just good soil, the seed goes in, and then it happens. This says that good soil gets to have the seed and the seed begins to germinate and grow by persistence, by perseverance. Can I just challenge you as one chapel that if we're, if we're passive, if we just think it's going to happen automatically, the seed dies. If we're passive, the devil wins. You have to, you and I, both of us, we have to be aggressive. We have to be aggressive on our knees. We have to be aggressive at disciplining our hearts, putting this Bible, this scripture, these words into us, making time to go to a group where you're discussing the scriptures. 
Every Friday morning, I go to a group. It's a men's group. And Friday morning, and we read the Bible reading for that day. And it is incredible what we discover as we talk about it together. If you don't have anybody who you're talking about the Bible with, it's, it's too passive. If you don't have time where you get the scriptures and you take some notes and you're writing stuff down from time to time, you're too passive. You're just going to be one of those people that believes it, but you're not sure you're doing it. The good soil is a willing mind. You're willing. You're just willing. You're, you're being, you're open to whatever God wants to do, and you're willing to make priorities in your life so that you take time for this kind of thing. You've got to cooperate with what it says. You've got to be willing to do what it says. Look over in James. I want you to turn over there, and let's see the kind of persistence you really have to have. Hebrews, James, chapter 1. This is our memory verse from last week. Verse 22. If you're there, say, yeah. yeah. Three of you. Okay, keep going. A little bit more. Okay, James chapter 1, verse 22. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do. Everybody say, do. Do, do what it says. This passage says, if you only listen and you don't do, deception is lurking. Do you know what the world sees? When we, when we listen, we believe, plus not doing anything, okay? So listening plus not doing equals hypocrisy. That's what the world is looking at us and saying, but what we find here, as you look down here and you begin to read, what you find is if you will listen and you will do something about what you hear, if you'll actually put it into practice, James says you've discovered pure and faultless religion. Not something that is tainted by man's agenda. Not something that is weak and legalistic. You've tapped into the pure thing, the real thing. Look what it says here in verse 21. We'll start there. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Look, the word planted in you. The world is throwing the junk at you every day. Turn on the news. The t turn off the television. I mean, it's everywhere. We're going to have to be aggressive in our pursuit of the word. We can't just listen. we got to do it. Verse 23 says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. It's like getting up in the morning and looking in the mirror at the damage caused by the night before and not doing anything about it. Verse 25 says, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Oh, oh, wait a minute. The question here is, do you believe that the Bible is true? And if you'll do what the Bible tells you to do, if you won't violate the scriptures, by having sex with somebody that you're not married to. If you'll obey the scriptures by not stealing that money that nobody will know about, 
if you will resist the temptation to lie just that one moment so you won't look too bad. Here's what the Bible says. If you'll tell the truth, even if it's difficult, even if it's embarrassing, God will bless you. That's what that says. That's what that says. If you will do the right thing, if you will hold your urges in check (laughs) and not demonstrate that you're really selfish, then God will bless you. He might even bless that relationship that you have with that girl. And who knows what might happen? He might actually let you marry her, you slob. Here's the thing. If you do the right thing, then God might bless you, right? If you do the right thing, here's what he says. He says, if you look into the law that gives freedom and continue to do this, do this over and over again, not forgetting what you've heard, but doing it, then he will be blessed. God will bless you. And then I know, I can hear it clicking in your head. Wait a minute. I've had a lot of stuff go wrong in my life when I was doing the right thing. Ah, sometimes there's a little, sometimes there's a test that you're having to go through. There's a, there's a process where you're having to learn perseverance and persistence. Look, things don't just grow on their own. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Weeds grow on their own. Weeds grow on there, and you got to pick those up and, and get rid of them. But the word that goes down deep in you, it needs cultivation. It needs persistence. It needs care. Look at what this says. Verse 26. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is <laughs> of no use. You know what this says? You can tell how holy a person is by their language. Why? Because Jesus said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You speak what's in your heart. It comes out somewhere. You know it comes out when you're with your best friend and somebody's hurt you and somebody's wounded you and you just... I'm not saying you can't have a best friend to vent to, but that's what's in your heart. And then once you discover it, guess what? Now you've got to apply the scripture. Now you've got to be willing to forgive, even in the face of violation. You don't have to forget about it. You don't have to surrender to abuse. I'm not saying any of those things. But the Bible says that if we don't make the decision to forgive, we don't make the decision to forgive, then God won't forgive us. It's just part of what the Bible says. And you make the decision to forgive. Verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. True religion, pure and faultless. Isn't this what we want? Pure and faultless religion happens when we get out of our comfort zone and care for people who are more needy than us. The widow, there there is practically... Across the globe, no one more in need than widows and orphans. No one to care for them. No one to take care of them. No, no one to help them. Look, this, this little thing, we're going to do Love Austin. We're going to be involved in a few uh, different ministries, and we're going we're gonna to engage with them and help them and serve them. It's, it's, it's tiny. It's baby steps. But let me tell you that the goal 
of One Chapel is that we'll do a better and better and better job at defending the widow and the fatherless. That we will do a better and better job at caring for those who are in need and don't have any money to care for them. And you know why? Here's the thing. You know why you, know why you and I need to go do this thing and pick up trash? Even though it's a little baby step, it's not going to change the city. You know, pick up some trash, but a good wind will fix that. A good wind and another um, music festival <laughs> will fix that. What changes when you decide to do that? Something right here. Something right here begins to change. You experience something new. You have no idea who you might meet picking up trash. You have no idea who, what God might put in your path. If you just make time and energy to apply what the scripture is teaching us. Hey, you only believe the parts of the Bible that you do. We only believe the parts of the Bible that we actually do. Look at what, look at what verse 14 says in chapter 2. If you go, the, James is trying to tell us something here in this letter. He's trying to tell the original hearers. He's helping them understand how to deal with their culture and how to deal with what they believe and how to demonstrate it. Verse 14 says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? That's a rhetorical question, because the answer is no. A faith that has no expression, a faith that has no serving attached to it, a faith that does not include someone else, a faith that is all about you and what I get out of the deal. It's why, it's why Jesus said when asked, what's the greatest commandment? He could have just said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Thou shalt love the Lord God God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Boom, there it is. Just do that and you're good. He didn't do it. It's because there's another piece here that makes the application tangible. The problem is, I don't know how well you love God until I see it on display as you serve me or serve a person in need. Loving our neighbor is where we're going, making disciples. All of us need to become greater disciples and disciple makers. That's where I'm trying to go. That's what I'm concerned about with One Chapel. I'm, I'm not concerned about the presence of Jesus. He's really faithful. He'll meet with us whenever we gather. I'm not really worried about you making friends. Friends, I mean, that's the conduit of ministry, but, but we're going to be able to do that. What I'm concerned about is, are we actually going to make any disciples? And how are we going to do that anyway? We're going to have to challenge one another to live differently than we do. We're going to have to challenge one another not to live in this consumerism culture that we, that's all around us, that teaches us to just love what we have and love what we want and to get what we want. James says, can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? <laughs> the answer is, it's no good. I don't care what you believe. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. 
But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. I want to read this in the New Living Translation because this is really interesting um, how it says it here. He says, but some, some of you will say, here it is, uh, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. I love this argument. You know, I don't do that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, my gift is really to, uh, to just serve people in the church. Okay, awesome. But somewhere along the line, you're going to have to do something to push yourself out of your own comfort zone because that's the process of being made into a disciple. Being willing, being willing to be pushed by somebody else to, be, to embrace what the scripture's saying, it says, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have any good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God, good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? <laughs> I love this. It is so aggressive. James is so aggressive on this point. And people get confused. They, they think, oh, this, this undoes grace and all that stuff. It doesn't undo grace. God's, God's salvation through Jesus Christ stands firm for all time and eternity. Sins of the past, sins of the present, sins of the future. What happens is if your faith doesn't reveal fruit, then it's going to die. It's, it is dying. That's what James is saying. And so, everybody believes in God. Even the demons believe in God. And they tremble. James is like, that, that, who cares? I don't care if you believe in God. Believing is like for, you know, all these people in Austin who believe in their own version of God. I mean, we, be, we become just like them. We become just like them if we don't live this out. We just got to believe in our own version of God. You know, just do whatever we want to do. Do you know that Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew 7? He said, there's going to be a day, and there'll be a bunch of people, and they'll come to me, and they'll say, hey, didn't we prophesy in your name? And didn't we cast out demons? And didn't we, didn't we do all these things? And he'll say, get away from me. I never knew you. So understand, if you try to do good works in an attitude of trying to earn something or you try to do good works, even really good stuff like casting demons out and healing people and doing all this stuff, if you get involved in that and then you take the credit, you're lost just as much as the guy who has faith and no deeds. We have to be the kind of church that's going to be applying our head, understanding what the word says, the mind, our, our, we're open to what the Bible says. So we have our head, we have our hands, and we have our heart. Head, heart, and hands. It's got to be all three. It can't just be one or two of those. It has to be all three of them. That's the thing that I'm trying to figure out for one chapel. I want to ask you, will you help me figure it out? Will you help me because honestly, I've talked to a lot of pastors. I've read a lot of books about discipleship and I've, about, about community outreach and all that kind of stuff. And it's 
very confusing out there. People all have their own, they define discipleship in numerous ways. I want over the next year and a half or two years for us to have a very clear understanding of how we're making disciples. And it's going to include something out there and something in here. It's going to include our head. It's going to include our heart. And it's going to include our hands. We're going to have to get our hands dirty. I want you to go with me. Will you go with me? Okay. Awesome. Close your eyes and let's pray. Father, thank you for the word and how it illuminates our minds, our hearts. Each one of us, we've spotted ourselves in the story. (laughs) Some of us are just shallow. We're just going from experience to experience, and um, we're convicted of it tonight. We want our roots to grow down deep. Some of us are really just closed-minded. We, we kind of believe on an intellectual level, but we don't really apply. We just kind of do what we want to do. We've made up our mind already based on our own experience. Some of us are just being choked to death by, by going here and there and being consumed with work and with pleasures and with worries and anxieties. They've just come up and they're choking the life out of us. Father, we need you to help us with persistence and perseverance. We want to be the good soil. We want to receive the word and then we want to put it into practice. We've got to do something. We can't just sit on the sidelines. We've got to do something. We can't just sit in the stands. We've got to get out on the field. Father, help us to do this. Help us to understand what that means for each one of us. Give us grace. Give us courage to do it. Some of us are just so busy. We're so consumed. We don't have any time. We can't even focus our attention. Would you help us? Would you offer us grace as we yield to you tonight and surrender? I wonder if there might be some of you here tonight who are realizing your relationship with Christ has really become distant, that your faith really is nearing death because it's not being acted out. It's not being acted upon. The deeds that should be the fruit of your faith are not appearing anywhere. Everything's focused in. Everything's looking in. There's no fruit going out. It's just all absorbed in yourself and you're realizing that today some of you are like I, I don't even I don't even have a relationship with God there's no way I can produce fruit I I need to establish myself I need to surrender to Christ today maybe you it's been a long time since you were in church or a long time since you came to a moment where you needed to say okay God uh, I'll give you anything you ask for. I'll do anything you ask me to do. I won't stay locked up inside my own world or inside my own church. I'll do what you want me to do. If one of those describes you, one of those descriptions describes you, whether whether it's the first time or the first time in a long time, I want you to make a commitment to Christ with your eyes closed and your head bowed. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but I want you to 
make a decision. If you want me to pray with you and you want to say, God, I want to commit my life to you again, would you just lift your hand up in this room? Anybody? Anybody? Across the room. Yep, I see you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yeah, I see you right over here. Anyone else? I see you back here in the back. That's such a good decision. Come on, everybody, let's pray this prayer together. Let's pray this prayer together. You just repeat these words after me, not because the words are special, but because you add your faith to them as you pray them. Come on, out loud, say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for speaking to me. Please forgive me for doing my own thing, for going my own way. I want to follow you. I want your word to go deep into my life. I want it to be planted in my heart. So I open myself up. Change me. Make me a new person. Forgive me for my sin, my failure. Thank you, Jesus, for rescuing me, saving me. Thank you for the word that changes me. I receive you now, a new way of life. I surrender. Now, Father, every person that prayed that prayer, I pray that you would seal the work that you're doing in them even now by your spirit, that you'd walk alongside them, you'd protect them, you would help them to, to speak about this to somebody tonight about what you're doing in their lives so it can kind of come alive outside of them, it can become reality. Father, I pray that you would give them grace to give up everything for you. Give us all strength. Give us all wisdom. Give us all courage to be able to serve you by applying your word, by, by doing what it says, by taking care of others, by serving people in need, by becoming the hands and feet of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to do this. In Jesus' name.